Welcome to Living Embodied, reclaiming our body as safe, sacred, and sovereign space. A podcast where we explore mental health and well-being through nurturing the mind-body connection. My name is Sydney Bell. I'm a social worker and psychotherapist with a passion for working with people healing from body shame and coming into relationships of peace, trust, and respect with their bodies. This podcast was born from a desire to understand more deeply the role our body plays in our mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. I hope you'll feel comfortable and safe in this space as well as brave. Some things to know about me. I'm a white cisgendered fat woman who is on a learning journey of opening my eyes to my privileges and how to be an advocate and an ally. I live and work with people from a weight neutral perspective, which among other things means this podcast is a diet talk and body shaming free zone. For more information about me and my practice, you'll find links in the description. Through reflections and conversations and opportunities to engage in short embodiment practices, in this podcast, we will explore what it means to feel at home in our body and to experience living life from the inside out. We set our intention to reclaim our wise body as a friend and ally, and I invite you to join me in this quest to uncover what it means to live an embodied life. In this episode of Living Embodied, I talk with Suzanne Dietrich. She's a certified intuitive eating counselor and eating disorder dietitian. Suzanne is the owner of Gut Instincts Nutrition Counseling in Waterloo and Guelph, and connects via video with people from all over Ontario. I'm so glad Suzanne agreed to join me. How we relate to food is so important to our ability to be comfortable in our bodies and live an embodied life. And yet, because of diet culture, we live in fear of food and we distrust our bodies. Suzanne does fantastic work with people from a non-diet, health at every size, and weight-inclusive lens. In our conversation, we will learn how Suzanne helps people to come to a peaceful, comfortable relationship with food. After our chat, I hope you will join me for a short embodiment practice. We're going to do a fun exercise together that I think helps us to understand the impact of diet culture mindset on our relationship with food. This is an exercise I learned from Kathy Cater, a brilliant social worker who developed a body-affirming health curriculum for grades 4 to 6. Check it out in the description. Now, let's meet Suzanne. Okay, here we are. I'm really pleased to be chatting today with 
Suzanne Dietrich. Um, Suzanne is a certified intuitive eating counselor and eating disorder dietitian. She's the owner of Gut Instincts Nutrition Counseling um, and uh, practices in Waterloo and Guelph. And, uh, And Suzanne, virtual sessions all over Ontario. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Well, welcome, Suzanne. Um, we, we do know each other, and it's, it's always a pleasure to have a, a chance to visit and connect with you. And thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you, Sydney. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm always open to wonderful conversations with you. Yay, awesome. Well, so what we thought we would talk about today is about food, which makes sense given your profession and the work you do with people. And um, my invitation to you was to, you know, to talk about that in um, our relationship with our body and embodiment. Um, So I wondered if we could just kick off, uh, Suzanne, with um, inviting you to tell us about your practice and the kind of work you do with people. Yes, thank you. So I, um, I've been in private practice uh, for almost four years, really working at this as my kind of full-time gig. Mm -hmm. And um, my main, uh, the main things I do is I help people move away from or move into um, or more comfortable or peaceful relationship with food. So that's kind of through three avenues. Um, It could be uh, if somebody is um, in recovery for an eating disorder, It could be somebody who um, has been dieting for a long time and is experiencing some disordered eating symptoms and wants to move away from that. Or it could also be um, a person's relationship with um, gut health, specifically IBS. So helping them, um, helping them um, figure out which, which foods are best and see about healing, healing their gut. And it's all through a non-diet um, weight inclusive lens um, uh, following um, I interweave principles of intuitive eating as desired by the client as well. Um, I use a health at every size approach and weight inclusive framework. Awesome. And I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about health at every size in, in, in this podcast. And Suzanne, it's definitely something that's how we connected and and bonded over is uh, both of us, uh, you know, embracing the health at every size framework. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it's been wonderful to have you in our, our community here, which is growing bigger, but um, it was pretty small when we started. So uh, I'm happy we were able to connect that way. Yeah, absolutely. So what usually happens in a session with you? Mm -hmm. So it's definitely different for every person, but we kind of have to, you know, the the first thing I ask someone at the beginning when we work together is, you know, what are you hoping to get from our session today? And, um, uh, you know, because that's going to kind of guide how things work, because the person has made the choice to come in and work with me um, right. 99.9% of the time. If they haven't, then it's not necessarily a good fit. Um, but, you know, basically, I need to do a nutrition assessment. So I'm going to be collecting the person's medical history, family right. medical history, um, I might look at their lab work if they want some help with that, or just some more further explaining on some of the labs. I don't go into all of the lab work. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we might discuss, um, then of course, we'll, depending on the person, we might discuss how things are digestively. 
um, I might ask them, I'll ask them generally to walk me through what a day looks like in terms of the routine with their life, their sleep patterns, their eating, who else is in their family, who does the cooking, um, how things are around food in, in their home. Right. And, um, and then of course, we spend a lot of time discussing the person's relationship with food. And right. so it might go down, it'll go down a different avenue for somebody who's in um, eating disorder recovery, and who has a diagnosed eating disorder, a different sure. avenue, somebody who's wanting to move away from dieting, and of course, a different avenue for somebody with IBS or gut health. Um, we of course set some some goals that we'd like mm -hmm. to they'd like to work on, and I always try and um, I, I don't do weight loss counseling. I don't set weight loss goals, and oftentimes in my discovery calls with people, I'll share that with them. If that's that's their goal, their main intention, then I refer them on to some someone else. Um, right. So I often am trying to part of our sessions might include looking at developing some non weight related health goals. Um, Frequently, someone who's done a lot of dieting um, has these specific goals, and oftentimes that goal is, you know, immense, you know, greatly tied to the scale, and that's kind of the quantifier and the qualifier. Yeah, and right. so sometimes people really want to have, I want to see I'm making progress, and so we kind of tease apart what are some of these non weight related health goals and what can that look like mm -hmm. if the person wants to work towards health uh, you know mm -hmm. I had one client and they said that they wanted to be able to bike to the grocery store with their backpack on get groceries and bike home and so we kind of broke that down into pieces you know what what would that look like and and how would we get there and of course I'm not a kinesiologist or physiotherapist right but we did that through the relationship with food and we kind of broke it down um so that's that's kind of it so, in a nutshell yeah so that's what that's an example of a a non-weight related health goal, that, that yes. ability to navigate the backpack, get on the bike and, and get to where they want to go. Yes. Yes, okay. exactly. It might be a digestive goal. It might be, um, right waking up in the morning, uh, feeling good inside or going to bed at night, feeling digestively well. Um, right. it might be something around recognizing hunger full cues or, or fullness cues or bringing more mindfulness to eating. Right. Um, yeah, it's um, different for every person. Absolutely. But that's, that's, this is that health at every size, um, approach or value that you were talking about earlier. And that's, it's, that's what it, sort of manifest like, or looks like in your practice, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I'm curious, Suzanne, what led you to the work that you do? And especially with this, uh, um, weight neutral approach that you take. It's a good question. I, um, as to be a dietitian, um, yeah. one of the routes you have to take is you need to do an internship. And it's usually done in a hospital or can be done in a community setting, depending which province you are in, or you yeah. can do a master's, which includes pay, um, placements. So I did a placement at Homewood Health Center in Guelph in their eating disorders program. And originally when I got into dietetics, I was really interested in food insecurity because I was working at, right. I was working locally at an emergency food hamper program and I wanted to look at policy. Right. And then I did my nutrition degree and I, 
um, started doing some of my placements and I was like, oh, that policy is fascinating, but I really miss working with people because I've, I've worked in community settings and social services, you know, 10 years before becoming a dietitian. So my placement at Homewood was fascinating in that the dietitian taught me stuff that I had never learned during my degree, which was she shared with me about intuitive eating and she shared mm. with me about health at every size. And this approach um, after doing different rotations throughout the hospital, mm-hmm. it just felt, um, it made sense to me in my body. It made sense. You know, I mm-hmm. remember doing my internship and I felt like I had to food police what people were eating mm-hmm. and for whatever medical condition they had. And oftentimes the rhetoric was, well, you need to lose weight and that's going to help this condition get better. And right. I, I just, that didn't feel good. I it felt awful, you know, and food is so tied to a person's culture, socioeconomic background, you know, it's, yeah. it's just tied to so many pieces. And for me to kind of go in and say, oh, you shouldn't eat that. You shouldn't eat that to try and save, change your body. It just never felt right. So I was just fascinated with the work at Homewood and I slowly started learning more about intuitive eating. I worked, started working in primary care and not, not a lot of people had ever heard of it. And thankfully, mm. um, a wonderful dietitian, Corey Koska, she spoke at a family health team conference about it. And I was like, oh, this is my person. I have to go speak <laughs> to her. somebody. Yes. Yeah. And she kind of guided us through that session of how to bring this into your sessions in primary care in, in right. Ontario. Right. And so um, I just kept going with it, but I, you know, was hesitant to bring it into some of my sessions because often my, my patients in the family health team were being referred to me to lose weight, you know? And so, you know, I would share with them the evidence about behavior change and all the other things that can impact and how the science on weight is not necessarily true when it comes to improving um, someone's medical condition. And so I just, um, I kind of got to the point where I just really wanted to do this work so badly and um, working with people with eating disorders. Also, I use this approach and that's kind of, you know, becoming the new standard approach as well too. And um, so I, I had some um, personal challenges in my life, family challenges, and I um, ended up leaving my job at the family health team. And then after about six months, I decided to um, start my own practice and start this. And it's been just wonderful. But I tell you, at the beginning, no one had really, which you probably seen too in your practice, no one had really heard of intuitive eating or health at every size. And now people are calling me say, I want to do intuitive eating, or I've tried to do this. I don't understand it. I need some help. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's shifting, which is wonderful. There is definitely a growing awareness for sure, which is really exciting. Um, Well, I I love hearing, you know, um, how you were engaged in this. And, and I think it's really quite interesting that it was in, if I heard you correctly, uh, the the, the Homewood Health, and um, it was kind of a a social justice focus there around, um, uh, you know, economic um, instability. Is that right? Sort of uh, around... um, so I access think it, to food. Was there a bit of that? Um, I don't know if there was so much of that, but that was definitely okay. a piece of it. It right. was the approach that that dietitian was using at the time, gotcha. right? Health at every size and right. intuitive eating, because right. you know not every eating disorder professional uses that approach or used that approach, you know, 10, right. 15 years ago. 
Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're hearing and seeing that's becoming, uh, even I think you said it like a best practice uh, around eating disorder work. Absolutely. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what would you say keeps you motivated in this work? I think the, the, the brave steps that my clients take to keep moving away from the shame that they feel and Mm -hmm. the, the diet culture that Mm -hmm. has, um, programmed people, you know, so, so poorly in ways, um, it's, it's my clients that they just take brave steps to move away from weight stigma, even weight stigma that they've experienced in their families, from their friends, right. but especially from healthcare professionals too. Uh, right. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, when I hear people, you know, saying to me that, you know, they just feel so much freer and they can go and they can enjoy their life and they're not spending dieting. They're not spending time. Um, dieting as a hobby, right? They've, they've been able to incorporate other things into their life. And so that that motivates me. Um, mm. That motivates me to keep going. And then also just all the research and the publications from our colleagues in the field too. Um, that motivates me as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, uh, as you know, um, one of my hopes is to bring some focus and um, just learning together around this concept of embodiment. Um, and so I'm wondering about how you um, conceive of or understand an embodiment, like how, how do you describe it or, or experience it? I'm going to be completely honest, Sydney. It's not a term mm-hmm. I use a lot, right? Um, but how I, to me, what it feels like is, is it's embracing, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's embracing, um, our body mm-hmm. and our mind, that connection and the yes. signals that it gives to us right. and, um, embracing it with, with curiosity, um, and without judgment and, right. um, being, being gentle with all this information. That's what I, that's what I feel embodiment is. I love that. Um, embracing with curiosity and without judgment. And um, I would imagine you, you know, uh, listening to the body signals, that's an important part of our relationship with, with food for sure, which you're supporting people and navigating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, um, so let's talk about then, um, is there around how we relate to food and this idea of embodiment, like embracing with curiosity and um, no judgment, how can that, that sort of mindset or, or body set um, impact or, or have, yeah, impact our relationship with food? Do you think? I think it can um, help us to experience more awareness Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it can help us, um, potentially find more joy and connect more with the feelings that we're having. Mm. And one of the principles of intuitive eating is unconditional permission to eat. And so often this gets portrayed in media of, as eat whatever you want, whenever you want. And, and absolutely that's part of it. Um, right. but for a lot of people that I work with, that sounds so scary. 
Mm. And, and so that's okay. That's okay. So generally what I'll tell people, no matter, you know, I, I look at eating on a continuum, right? And so okay. on maybe the one side is normal eating. That's a flexible yes. relationship with food and caring for our bodies. And then on the opposite side would be a, um, a diagnosed eating disorder. In between there would be disordered eating and dieting. And so I look, we can work on this unconditional permission to eat kind of at all levels. And the speed that we move will depend on the person and depend on where they are in the continuum. So um, with my clients with um, eating disorders who are engaging in restrictive eating, um, that might be, we might create a food hierarchy. So we might start at the bottom with the foods that um, feel a little bit easier to try. And then we'll work our way to the top of foods that are, feel really hard to try, feel really scary. And then, you know, kind of one thing at a time. And even Mm. with somebody who doesn't have an eating disorder, sometimes if someone has a lot of rules, then, Mm -hmm. then we can kind of work with that. So it doesn't need Mm -hmm. to be this like jump in the pool and eat whatever you want. Mm -hmm. It can just be slowly taking these little wee steps and then connecting to how that feels in our body. But it can get tricky, right? Because sometimes there's those diet culture rules that are there, right? Yes. That kind of weave their way through. And, and yes. sometimes even um, our mind might be tense, be feeling ten- tension about it or stress about trying this. So maybe it might be, oh, when I had that, my stomach didn't feel good. So right. it's when when we're going to do that, you know, it's like want to do it in a calm environment, um, want to do it when maybe we're comfortable with someone there or more comfortable without someone kind of in a peaceful environment if possible. Right. So we, it doesn't have to be jump in the pool. We can kind of go slowly and then slowly increase that, that variety. I feel like I got off track. So let me know. know. I I feel like you're painting a really beautiful picture of, um, you know, the process you engage with folks around nurturing that mind body connection and, and rebuilding trust with their relationship with food. Um, again, which to me is just such a cornerstone of living an embodied life, like feeling, you know, centered and and safe in yourself. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, I, do you have, uh, Suzanne, um, like resources or practices that you recommend to people, uh, places that they can go, um, to maybe read or, or, or listen to, listen to, or mm-hmm. I guess who are the, what was, uh, the, the wisdom keepers or the teachers that you turn to? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's so many of them. Lucy Aframore. I yes. also appreciate the work of Dr. Maria Paredes, um, as well as the authors of in, the intuitive eating books, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch. Mm-hmm. And um, I also, you know, some of my mentors too are some of my colleagues at the Wellness Collaborative based out of Wealth, where I practice. Right. Yes. And then I also appreciate the work of Kristen Neff, her work around self-compassion as well, too. Absolutely. We'll compile a list of these resources from Suzanne and have them in the, you know, in the description of this episode so people can have access to them. Um, So are there any practices or approaches that you recommend? 
Hmm. I mean, I guess the intuitive eating is there for sure. Yeah. Right. The intuitive eating. I feel like um, intuitive eating offers people a bit of a framework of how how to do this. The health at every size um, literature. uh, It's a lot of wonderful, amazing concepts and big picture stuff. Yes. Um, like I said, I haven't read radical belonging yet, but right. I often find my clients do well with the intuitive eating. Cause it gives a little bit more step-by-step process That's where, right. where to start. Right. And then I think also, you know, it, just, you know, part of it is, is a big piece around the mindfulness. Right. And so, okay. um, people doing their own mindfulness work and, yeah. um, with, with someone that, um, is trained in that. Um, and then, you know, if I especially, um, recommend that someone is working through eating disorder recovery, that they, they, they have a team, um, yeah. because there's just so many That's aspects true. of it that, that are important pieces. Um, the mm-hmm. other one is, um, Dr. Anita Johnson. Um, I'm oh, curious yes. about her work as well too. Right. Um, um, that's um, uh, a book eating in the light of the moon is, yes. is that who you're referring to? Yes. Yes. I, yes. Yeah. And then I also, I'm going to plug one more person too. And this is a, a fascinating doctor. Her name is Dr. Jennifer Gaudiani and she is an oh. internist in the U S and she has started her own eating disorders clinic and she has um, amazing videos on her website. She practices from a weight inclusive lens in eating disorder recovery. And she is another one of my wisdom keepers as well. Oh, that's uh, fabulous. I'm excited to uh, explore her. So thank you for that, Suzanne. Yeah. So we're, we're going to wrap up here. And uh, I'm just wondering, could you, like, how can people can connect with you? Yeah, so um, my website is gutinstincts.ca. And um, so they can connect with me on there. I'm also intermittently on Instagram at um, (laughs) food.peace.mama. So those are the best ways to connect with me. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. Well, uh, Suzanne, I really, as always, enjoyed uh, speaking with you and just really appreciate so much the work that you're doing with folks in, you know, healing their relationship with food, which, um, again, I believe is just really vital uh, in terms of how we relate to our body. So uh, thank you again for your time today. Um, and I look forward to the next time we get to chat. Thanks, Sydney. It's my pleasure. And I just want to say one thing, if it's okay. Absolutely. Oftentimes when I speak with people, you know, I think of kind of juggling all the balls we have to in our life. Yeah. And oftentimes people can have um, very strict rules about eating and um, want to make sure their nutrition is perfect. And so, you know, I often will say to my client, if, if we're trying to keep that ball really high up in the sky, then maybe some of those other balls might drop where they might fall down. Right. And so I guess I'd encourage all your listeners to think about, you know, we don't have to have the nutrition ball right up at the top, right. It can be in line with the others and using nutrition as a way to nourish ourselves, but also um, accept and embrace ourselves and um, uh, look at it through the lens of, of gentleness. Oh, I really love, 
I love that. That is a really helpful metaphor or framework for just thinking, keep, I guess what I'm hearing from you is it's a gentle invitation to keep it in perspective, the work that we're doing around, uh, around nutrition and food, right? It's important, but, you know, keeping it in line with all the other things we have going on in our lives. Yeah, exactly. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And this has been a chat with Suzanne Dietrich. And I invite you to to check out her website if you'd like to learn more or maybe connect with her. Thanks again, Suzanne. Okay, thank you. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Suzanne. I appreciated her invitation to us to look at nutrition through the lens of gentleness. I also think it is important to consider her question about our health goals. If we want to move away from diet culture and all the harm it does to our well-being, it can be helpful to spend some time thinking about our indicators of health and well-being that aren't about our body size. How do we know that our health is improving? What are the things that we can do to shape and improve our health? And what do we have less control over? Now let's shift from listening and thinking about embodiment to bringing it into practice. Suzanne talked about embodiment as embracing our body with curiosity and not judgment. So let's tap into our curiosity with a little experiment. To begin our experiment, I want you to think for a moment about our core physical needs, those things that we need to live, like water, food, sleep, warmth, The need for these basics of life are programmed deep into our physiology. And when we mess around with them, like we often do with food when we diet, it can wreak havoc on our well-being, not just physically, but mentally as well. Let's take sleep. What usually happens when you don't get enough sleep one night? Most likely it isn't a big deal. You're a little tired the next day. And if you're lucky, the next night you go to bed early and catch up. But what happens when you regularly don't get enough sleep? Likely, you are low on physical energy, your mood plummets, and you have trouble concentrating. And I'm guessing if lack of sleep is an ongoing issue, much of your time will be spent thinking about it and wishing for sleep. Does that sound familiar? Because this is what happens when we mess around with our basic biological needs. We become less able to function and we spend our time thinking about that thing that we need. So here's where the experiment comes in. What if we went on an air diet? What if it was decided the latest thing was to take in less oxygen and to develop a pretty blue tint to our skin? In order for you to do this, you must participate in little activities, so get comfortable. No supplies are needed. 
But a word of warning, don't participate if you have respiratory or breathing issues like asthma. Instead, just use your imagination. Okay, ready? Because for the next 60 seconds, I'd like you to close your mouth and plug one nostril. Now breathe through that one nostril for the next 60 seconds. Okay, here we go. Okay, that's 15 seconds. Notice the physical and mental changes that start to happen. Keep going. We're at 30 seconds. Now, no cheating. Use your willpower. Here we are at 45 seconds, just 15 more. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Okay, that's it. Let yourself breathe however you want to breathe. So, what was that like for you? What did you notice? Most likely, you experienced some of the following. In a matter of seconds, your breath got slower and deeper. Why do you think your body responded that way? Well, restriction. Your mind got the message that your breath was restricted and wasn't quite sure when you were going to get a full breath of air next. To compensate, it told your lungs to slow down and get as much air in as possible, just in case regular breathing didn't resume anytime soon. Can you imagine if you denied your body that deep breath in that moment? You might have passed out. Think about that. We do this to our bodies with hunger and food all the time. It just takes individuals longer to pass out but it happens. We can't simply give our bodies less food than what our bodies need. Things go wrong when we do. Now, back to the air diet. I'm guessing your mind started focusing on your breathing more than anything else going on. When you restrict your body from something it needs to survive, it will likely put more thought toward that to which is being restricted. Sound like the last time you rigidly cut out something of your diet that you really enjoy? It's funny how we then just really obsess about that thing. Now you may have stopped the activity earlier due to discomfort or even some weakness or dizziness. And, you know, it's so funny because we often blame our inability to, you know, maintain strict food uh, rules because, you know, willpower is an issue when re reality is it's biology stepping in. And when we stopped the air diet, I'm guessing you took a deep breath. 
And I wonder, did you feel any judgment when you took that deep breath? Would you think it was strange if someone came out of this pretend experiment striving to take very small breaths despite the fact that their body had clearly been deprived of air? How often have you judged yourself for overeating or binging after dieting for several weeks, days, or hours? So denying biological needs is encouraged in our culture every day. The question is, what can we do to resist this pressure? And that brings our time together to an end. Thank you for joining me today. Feel free to reach out to me via my website, GaiaTherapy.net, or sign up for my newsletter. Links to both are in the episode description. I would also like to thank Suzanne Dietrich for coming to chat with me, and I hope we can have her back with us sometime. In the next episode of Living Embodied, uh, releasing on August 2nd, 2022, I will be discussing healing body shame through reclaiming body sovereignty. Until then, may you experience your body as safe, sacred, and sovereign space. Mm -hmm.